Well, did you have a Merry Christmas? Did you get everything you deserved? It's a trick question, isn't it? I got lots of things, but I'm most excited about, I got some real fancy hairspray. <laughs> I did. It's the kind that you, there's a, it, it just, it's just fancy. It's fancy. <laughs> Main reason I'm happy about it is Marcy passes along to me the cheap stuff. And so I got to throw the cheap stuff away because I got the good stuff for Christmas. So I hope you got something as good as fancy hairspray. So if you didn't, you can't borrow mine. Okay. We are beginning uh, a new year here. Got a few more days left. But we're going to begin moving through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So I wanted to give you a, a little head start on that and use a passage that we typically use at Christmas time that uh, is all about Christmas. But it's also a fitting introduction to where we're going to be going for the first quarter of 2016. So those of you who plug into the life of our church, you know about this. It's a daily Bible reading booklet. We have them ready for you to pick up on your way out today. And the thing that's most unusual about this edition of the uh, daily Bible readings out of the prophecy Isaiah is you wrote them. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen of our folks, of our uh, church members wrote the daily devotionals that we'll use in moving through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah for quarter one. So I think that's a wonderful thing. You know, we have lots of folks who love God's word and who can communicate it and write it out well. So as you pick up your copy today, uh, read it carefully, read it prayerfully. Also, you're going to be getting these readings every day through the email if you're subscribed to that. Some of you get it both ways, and that's fine, whatever works for you. But these are ready. The readings begin tomorrow uh, that will move us through one of the most amazing books of the Bible. What about Isaiah? What is the big deal about him? matter of fact, we're calling it the, the gospel according to Isaiah. And that's usually the terminology we use in reserve for the, the four Gospels, the New Testament stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Isaiah has rightfully been called a good news book of its own. It's, it's an amazing book, even the way it's arranged. I don't think it's any mistake that there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. And it's divided basically into two sections, 1 through 39, and then 40 through 66. 1 through 39 parallel the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament. The last 27 books of Isaiah, 40 through 66, parallel in a strange way, in an amazing way, the very words of the New Testament itself. So some have taken this 66-chapter book and said it's almost a mirror image. It's almost a Bible in miniature. And I'm not saying that chapter 1 parallels Genesis and chapter 2 parallels Exodus all the way through the first 39. But the, the intent, the message of those first 39 chapters is clearly Old Testament. It's looking forward to what's to come. And then those last chapters, 40 through 66, speak of the will of God, the purpose of God being fulfilled. 
The Gospel According to Isaiah. It's the most often quoted book in the New Testament. Isaiah is mentioned by name 85 times in the books of the New Testament. And the 53rd chapter of Isaiah alone is quoted many times. We look at this book and look to ask God to speak to us through his word. Okay, a few things about the setting. Then I want to read that passage of the day, a great prophecy. The setting, just like we said, is it's divided into two books. 1 through 39 basically talk about things that happened in the 8th century B.C. Now, you've got to go one off of that to get the right numbers of the years. If we're talking 8th century B.C., we mean the numbers, the year number 700 in the 700s. The second part of the book, chapters 40 through 66, parallel the 6th century B.C. And by B.C., I mean what? before Christ. So the first 39 books, 8th century B.C., last 27 books, 6th century B.C. Isaiah, we can pinpoint him based upon the chronology that's listed in the scripture, that Isaiah ministered in 740 to 681 B.C. You go, well, wait a minute, Stephen. If chapters 40 through 66 are 6th century B.C., which are the 500s, and Isaiah was long gone around 681 B.C., then what do we have here? Well, we have prophecy. We have Isaiah telling things that are going to happen hundreds of years, generations after his lifetime. Or it could be that some people who loved Isaiah wrote those last chapters, some might say. I think the evidence is very clear that We can unify and say that Isaiah is a unity, 1 through 66, and that in those final chapters, what God is doing is he is allowing Isaiah to predict and to tell what's going to happen long down the road. And what are those things, most important things? Well, see, during the time that Isaiah lived, the kingdom was split into two. You remember the first king was Saul. The second king was his son, or not his son, but his protege, David. And the third king was David's son, Solomon. When Solomon died, there was a civil war. And the nation of Israel that had been unified through the first three kings was now a divided nation north and south. From this point on, the north kingdom is called Israel. The south kingdom is called Judah. It gets a little confusing, and we'll have to remind ourselves of that as we get into the prophecy and as we read it, and we begin to see what its message is, not only to that day and time, but to our day as well. So Isaiah lived and saw the north kingdom fall, which it fell in 722 B.C. Isaiah did not live to see his own home country of Judah to fall to the Babylonian Empire in 586 B.C. But he lived in a time where he prophesied and foretold, told the future in a sense. And he also prophesied in the sense that he was telling forth the truth of God. Because remember, folks, prophecy is not about telling the future. That's what a lot of people think prophecy is. They read about prophecy seminars. They think, I'm going to find out what's going to happen in the future. No, prophecy does have a predictive nature, but prophecy, more times than not, is simply 
telling the truth of God. And that's what Isaiah does. He lived 740 to 681 B.C., we said, and he was a resident of the southern kingdom of Judah, but he prophesied to the north kingdom of Israel. And we begin to see, as he related to both kingdoms, he has a message that only God could create, a message of God to his generation. That leads us to the passage of the day, which is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It's a very famous passage, especially at Christmas time, principally because there was a guy who wrote some music called the Messiah. And some of the music we listen to at Christmas has the words of this prophecy we're about to read. But let's read it together. It talks about the birth of a child, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for fire. And then here's the part we've all waited for. For to us a child will will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, now, you're probably like me. You're going to say, I was with you there when you got to verse 6. But verses 1 through 5 threw me a curve. What's he talking about? Isaiah lived and ministered, talking about the fall of the north kingdom that happened in 722 B.C. The land known as Assyria, the empire known as Assyria, came storming in and they destroyed the north kingdom. And there was a little tribe up there called Naphtali that we read about. And this prophecy is a reminder that when Israel was swallowed up by Assyria, that many of those in those tribes that lived in that area suffered. And this is a promise that God is going to make things right, that he's going to restore them, that he's going to bring them salvation. He mentioned the battle of Midian. He said, God is going to do for his people just like the battle of Midian. What's he talking about? You go all the way back to that story of Gideon. And Gideon, facing unbelievable odds, obeyed God. And the battle of Midian became the battle of the Lord's. And Gideon had victory. Isaiah is talking about a time when, what did he say? The the boots of the booted warrior, the blood-soaked robes will be useful for nothing but to be burned up. So Isaiah, in the 8th century B.C., is giving forth a message, a message that is telling the people the way things are in their life right now, they're not good. They're going to get worse. 
but that God is going to intervene and God is going to bring back salvation and God is going to bring back victory to his people, which leads us to the Christmas prophecy that we're so familiar with. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, remember, when Isaiah was saying this, the people that heard it, they weren't looking at 750 years down the road when Jesus would be born. They didn't have a clue who this person would be. They didn't have a a proper name to give him that we have, Jesus. They didn't know any of those things. They looked for the fulfillment of this prophecy in their own lifetime. They looked for someone who was going to bring them victory. They were looking for another king, someone who would rise up and who would lead the people back to the days of glory, like in the days of King David, their glory days, their best days. We look back at it, and we know because of our Christian viewpoint, because we understand the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy was not in any earthly king, but it was in the birth of Jesus who, by the way, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is the Savior of the world. But they didn't have that knowledge. And so as we look at it and we try to put ourselves in their place, we begin to see what they're hoping for. And it's a parallel to how we live our lives today. That even though we understand and know the identity of this child, we identify him as Mary's child as Jesus the Christ, born in Bethlehem, 750-some-odd years after Isaiah spoke and gave this prophecy. But as we look at it and know, we too understand that as we live our lives each day, we have to look with anticipation of what God is ultimately going to do when Christ returns. See, that's the nature of most prophecy. It's not saying on such and such a day, this is going to happen. But it's saying God is in control. What about these names that are given to this child? Once again, Isaiah didn't, didn't have the, the information that we have that it would be Jesus born that night in Bethlehem. But he did have enough information and he did give us and gave as this prophecy some Hints about what this person would be like, how this one, this child, this Savior would rule. And those are those phrases, those titles that are familiar to us mainly because of the music or because we hear it every year at Christmas. I want you to look at them carefully. Some people interpret these as individual titles or names. Most would do them like I'm going to give them to you on this outline that it's actually four couplets, that this person who will come, as we know to be Jesus, he will be a wonderful counselor. He will be a mighty God. He will be an everlasting father. He will be a prince of peace. So let's take them in that order and see what they would have to say to the people in their day who lived during Isaiah's day and how we view them today. This child who would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's what the Gospel of Luke tells us. He will ultimately be our Savior, but we will identify Him in the following way. Wonderful Counselor. What do you make of that? Well, it seems that 
Counselor is the title or the name, and wonderful would be the, the description, the adjective, the descriptor, descriptor of the counseling. Well, what does it mean? Think of it in terms of the advice and the wisdom that you pray for, the decisions you have to make in life, where, folks, remember, many of the choices you and I make are not between right and wrong, good and bad. Many of them are. But most of us probably have gone past the stage where we have to wonder if we're going to be tempted to, you know, steal something at Walmart today or take someone's life and commit murder. Those things are clearly right and wrong. They're clearly out of bounds of God's will and within His will. When do you need counsel? You and I need counsel when the choices are good, better, best. See, that job that you may be considering, is it good for you and your family? Could be. But why do you want good when there's better? And why would you want better when there's best. See, now we begin to understand that the promise of a Savior, the promise of a child who would lead a nation, who would bring ultimate peace to this world, that He comes to dwell among us because He is a wonderful counselor. His counsel, if we will take it, if we will seek it, if we will pray for it, if we will live it out, His counsel is wonderful. It's beyond description. And He will help you and me sort through those issues. That it's almost like we're sitting here going, God, which one? And it may seem like God's going, take your pick. God's will may not be zeroed down to one particular thing, but it may be that he gives you and me an opportunity to take the wonderful counselor of Christ and apply it to the decisions before us. You see, he is, in our day, the wonderful counselor. Boy, the people in that day needed it big time bad. They needed it. They sorely needed someone who would give wonderful counsel to them. They needed a leader. They needed to be taken out of this pit of destruction, this time of exile. They needed to be gathered back home. And so the hope was that this one who would come, they would know him because of his wonderful counsel. And we know him for the same reason. He's also called Mighty God. Now, once again... You've got to decide, is might a title or does might describe God? And I'll look at it that way. That it's a God who is mighty. That mighty describes God. Now, now you sit here and go, well, okay, what's earth shattering about that? Well, see, once again, they're thinking of an earthly king. I'm talking about Isaiah's day. They're looking for someone who is going to, to bring them uh, to a place of, of power. And there are times in the Bible, the Old Testament, you're going to find a couple places where the king is referred to as a god. But that's not what Isaiah is prophesying. He's saying, hey, you may look at a leader. You may look at uh, a King David or a King Solomon who's the wisest man on the face of the earth. And you might think that they are right up there with God. But we're talking about the child 
who will be given to us, who is the mighty God. Yes, it's a battle scene. It's following not just a valiant leader, but it's following the will of the God who created us and knows what is best for us. And in our day and time, we don't need to misunderstand and think that might is always right. We're not here to say that God's will is going to be decided by some type of weapon, be it a sword or a gun or some type of war movement, but that what? That God's will, that God's power is going to be seen. Get ready. Through a willingness to serve. That the mighty God, he doesn't have to show his might. He created all things out of nothing. He doesn't need our help in showing just how tough he is or how powerful he is. But we find that this world is going to be changed when we what? When we understand that the might of the God who created us was wrapped up in a child's birth, was wrapped up in a willingness to give and to serve and to sacrifice. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting, eternal Father, this passage says. Father here, we pray and we, many of you, when you pray, you will say, address God as Father. That's great. Or you'll say heavenly father. The, the context of this term for father really means provider and protector. And indeed, God as father does that. But this is the, the idea that in Isaiah's day, what were they looking for? Oh, if you said, do you need someone to provide for you? They would go, absolutely. We've lost everything. So in their day and time, they're looking down the road for someone, for some signal that this person born is going to grow up and is going to be that mighty king, that everlasting father, that provider, that protector for each one of us. We, in our day, knowing the fulfillment of this prophecy is Jesus, do we not understand that he is our provider and protector as well? And then that last one, Prince of Peace. Now, the others were reversed, you know, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. But here, Prince is the title. Peace is the descriptor again. The Prince of Peace. You see, all those people in the Old Testament knew about was war. All they knew about was Tiglath-Pileser who was the emperor of Assyria, who was mean, nasty, and on the march to destroy them. And then following that, it didn't get any better. It's Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, the sound just sounds, the name just sounds bad. And then his kinfolk, Nabopolassar, Babylon. All these people knew was war. And yet the promise of Isaiah, is above all, this ruler, this, this child will be the prince of peace. Peace of God. What a great thing to think about. To think that this world will be conquered not by a sword, but by one who promotes peace. 
who unifies, who brings creation back to what it was originally intended to be. The peace of God. But we need to remember in our day and time, there is no peace of God until you and I make peace with God. Sounds like a play on words. Listen to me. There's a difference. Peace of God is one thing. It's a great thing to want. It's a great thing to desire. But peace of God is not possible until you and I make peace with God. Which brings us back to the reason this child was predicted, the reason this baby was born, was to bring us salvation. We cannot have the peace of God by getting peace with God on our own. But it is this child's peace. It's this child's work. It's this child's righteousness that we take and make our own. You see, this book of Isaiah truly is good news. We've got to be careful as we interpret it and as we read it and as we deal with passages each and every week for this next quarter leading up to Easter. That's where this, this book's going to take us. It's going to take us right to the cross. And we have to be careful to understand and know that this book we must deal with carefully. We must understand what they heard when they originally received it and how we translate it, interpret it, and bring it to our own time. But make no mistake, all of these prophecies are going to lead to one place, and that's one person. All of them are going to lead to Jesus. I didn't say all roads lead to Jesus because all roads don't lead to him. But all prophecies that we find in God's word are going to take us to one person, to one place, if we... Interpret it correctly, and that is going to be to Christ, to the cross, to our Savior. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here, call upon your name, to know that you hear us when we pray. We thank you for the prophecies that we find in the Old Testament, especially for this one we've looked at today that ties so perfectly into Christmas. Give us the courage to make the choices that would honor you, for we pray these prayers in the name of Christ. Amen. We conclude this service the way we do every time we meet, and that is with an invitation. For it could well be that there are those in this room and you've yet to say yes to the claim of Jesus upon your life. See, we can fill in the blank on who this child was, who he is. Isaiah's day didn't have that luxury. But we have that information that that prophecy that we just read, that they were looking forward to, that they saw and they were wondering, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Who is it? How mighty a king is he going to be? And yet we know today that all of those prophecies are fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And He puts His claim upon your life and upon mine. He desires to be Lord of our lives or to be nothing at all. So if you've yet to cross that line of faith and pray that prayer, to say yes, to become a believer, to get saved, make a profession of faith, call it whatever you want to. But it all means that you're saying yes to Jesus. If you haven't made that choice, we invite you to make it today. We invite you to come forward. There'll be ministers and deacons standing here to pray with you, to support you, to encourage you. Maybe you know the Lord, just never told anyone. Tell us. 
Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism. That's an easy, that's an easy step of obedience. Just understand what it means and why that's something you need to do. We'll help you with that. Come forward. Maybe you need a place to call your own, a church to be your own, where you can participate, where you can serve, where you can live out the life that Christ wants you to live. We offer us our church. Churches all around us. Find one where you can plug in, where you can serve. Don't just go somewhere and sit back and blend in with the foliage. And if that place happens to be here where God wants you to be, come join today. How do you do that? You come forward. If you just want someone to pray for you, Ray and Liz and Lon are here in this room most every Sunday, and they're going to be standing here. Lon's up in the balcony. If you want someone just to pray for you, pray with you, they're here. That's our invitation. We stand together. We ask you to respond as God leads.